Good day, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Real Talk podcast. And today we are lucky to be joined by an exceptional guest, a good friend of mine, uh, Leo Tyson. Leo is a very, very good coach. Um, he's been around various parts of the world now at this stage, um, and it's great to have him on here today. Uh, Leo, how are things? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Jared. I'm excited for this, for this episode, mate. So you are currently in Thailand now. Um, if you just give our listeners a bit of a rundown of where you're at, kind of your, your background, um, and then we'll get stuck in. Awesome. So the uh, short version, because it's not too exciting, is uh, I moved out to Thailand at 16 and 17 to uh, pursue trying to be a professional Muay Thai fighter. So a bit like kickboxing. Had a few pro fights and, and realized that I didn't really want to uh, do it as a career. Um, but fell in love with kind of the coaching side of it, the studying, the nutrition, the training, the recovery, etc. So that naturally progressed into, into becoming a personal trainer. So by the time I was 18, um, I just got a job in David Lloyd. I was fully qualified. Um, and yeah, I've just been running with it, with it ever since, really, kind of doing various courses and uh, studies, etc. Um, about a year and a half ago, I moved back out to Phuket. Um, so I did love it here and got a, got a job coaching. Um, at a gym doing some classes and building the online business for the gym and building the, the educational membership site um, so yeah that's kind of where I'm at really over the last uh, six years I've mostly worked with female clients which has kind of led me into into studying the female side of it in a, in a bit more detail um, so yeah I'm excited to share some of that with you today. Yeah so yeah. when we met it was uh, probably two to three years ago now I think at RTS uh, in London I think at that time you were doing quite a lot of one to one hours with majority of, of female clients. So obviously there's a, a lot of hands on experience there. Um, when you moved over again, working with females, different parts of the world as well, um, but definitely plenty of experience. Um, so I think nothing better to discuss today than females, what they have to go through in terms of training, nutrition um, and all the considerations they have. Um, I think we were talking a while ago and you said they don't get enough they don't get enough uh, support when it comes to these kind of things. So it'd be good to go through some things um, and provide some hopefully useful information for any female listener. So just to kick us off, I suppose, where in terms, so obviously in the fitness world, it's about results and this and that. Obviously, we know there's a lot more to it. Um, but either in quarantine or when quarantine is over, um, I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of people who want to get results. Where in your experience, do you see females go run the most in terms of want to progressing either their body, their mind, and just getting results uh, in general? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question, Jared. I think that it's difficult because obviously it's a very broad question. A lot of females approach training and nutrition um, you know, very differently. Um, obviously, people have very, very different goals. There's huge variances in, in individual females with how their menstrual cycle affects them. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I think the the industry has done a great job the last few years of kind of um, you know females wanting to have a stronger, more toned look, understanding that weight training is important. You know, not fearing food, not fearing carbs as much as they used to, and you know, less kind of aerobic classes and more quote unquote proper training. So I, I think that as a whole, females are moving in the in the correct direction. Um, but they're still definitely underserved in the fitness industry and they definitely still make a few mistakes. And I think that I don't really know if one area is more, more prevalent than, than others, to be honest. I think there's a few kind of key 
areas that we'll get into where, where females kind of go wrong. And, and a lot of that is just comes, comes down to kind of a little bit of ignorance and, and lack of support and education on the differences between um, females and men. So, you know, females aren't just smaller males. There is quite a lot of differences. There's differences in where females store body fat, how they actually store body fat. There's differences in how they mobilize and use body fat. There's differences in, um, you know, the fuel sources that they use during training, that they use during rest. There's obviously differences throughout the menstrual cycle and, you know, and within the same person, obviously throughout their cycle, there's differences between women. There's huge variances in one menstrual cycle versus another woman's menstrual cycle. And then obviously that has a huge variation compared to us men who, who don't have one. We're just consistent every month. Um, so, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot of areas where females could do with a little bit more support and education. And just having an understanding of this kind of stuff is going to really help them to, to actually personalize their, their training and their nutrition and kind of managing expectations, because it, it definitely is harder for a female to um, lose body fat and, and ultimately achieve that kind of physique in comparison to a male. Like it is for the most part harder. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if one of those areas is more prevalent than any others, but um, let's let's kind of jump into them all. And, and I'm sure. I'm sure our female listeners will get a, will get a lot of a lot of benefits from kind of being able to action this information. Yeah. So, as you can see from from Leo's explanation there, as a female, it actually probably is true you do have more of a of a raw deal more more so than males, because um, there is a lot that comes into consideration. And if you're a female, whether you're a beginner, advanced, or wherever you're at now, you can see if you're just wanting to be X weight or look a certain way. Um, there's a lot that goes into it and a, a lot that you probably don't don't understand. So if we stay on that and we, we obviously context, as you know, is, is going to be is going to be everything. If we put it in the context of we go to we go beginner first and then someone who's maybe more advanced. So if we go along the lines of a beginner who might be starting out, what are the potential main hiccups or barriers you see them in terms of their progression? So we went like their barriers with nutrition training even even their own mindset and background um, so we start with the beginner and then we'll move on to a more advanced person cool so i think one of the, the first key points that's important to understand is is just actually around kind of rate of progress so when we look at, at fat loss the basics are the same between uh, male and females we need to be in that calorie deficit for fat loss to occur I think most people are kind of familiar with that now. We, we need to eat a little bit less than we need per day and our body will use body fat to, to make up the rest, right? To make up the difference. The, the difference between females and males is that fat loss isn't uh, quite that simple. There's three kind of main parts to it. So firstly, we need to mobilize the fatty acids. Then we need to transport them. And then we actually need to use them as, as fuel. And there's kind of, it's a few reasons why that's a bit harder and can be harder for females than, than men that we'll get into. But just to keep it simple for a second, obviously, um, we need to be in that calorie deficit firstly. Now, the problem is for females who typically, but not always, but typically are just going to be smaller than, than men and weigh less, is they are just going to need more calories at rest. So if I'm 95 kilograms, and, you know, the, the average female listening to this is maybe 60. There's just a lot more off me, which is therefore going to require more calories to keep alive per day. So that's our BMR or our basal metabolic rate. So I might instantly be able to get away with eating a few more hundred calories per day than a smaller female just off the bat. Um, and then next, because I weigh a little bit more, there's obviously more off me to carry around throughout my daily movement or my knee, my non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So if I did the same 10,000 steps as a smaller female, it's going to require me more calories and it's, I'm going to burn more energy to do that 
than a smaller female would. So again, that's instantly given me a few hundred calories per, um, per day more to have. And then lastly, again, if, when it comes to exercise, if me and a female did the exact same workout, it's going to require more energy for me to do it because it's more of me to carry around to move through that session to make, you know, uh, contract, perform, move, etc. So females are instantly at a little bit of a, of a disadvantage um, there in terms of their calorie needs per day. You know, it's not common, it's not uncommon, sorry, for females to have to diet down on, on fairly low calories for at least short periods of time. You know, maybe as low as 1,200 to 1,400 on the extreme low end towards the end of diets if, if they're looking to get, you know, quite lean, photo shoot lean. But even your everyday female might be on between 15 and 1,800 calories, which isn't just a massive amount of food. And, and there's a few problems with that. So firstly, I'd say a mistake a lot of beginners make is just managing expectations and, and rate of progress. Because if we take that very kind of generic um, one pound of fat loss is 3,500 calories, and it's not quite as black and white, white as this, as, as you know, obviously, Jared, when we look at the real world application, but it's a pretty good way to, to obviously uh, manage expectations. So one pound of body fat is worth about 3,500 calories of energy. So if we want to lose one pound of fat mass per week, we obviously need to be in a deficit of about 500 calories per day. Now, if your total maintenance needs as a female are only 2,000 per day, we're instantly on a quite a low calorie diet just to lose one pound a week. Whereas if I was a male uh, and I was having kind of two and a half thousand calories per day as my maintenance, that same 500 calorie deficit for me is going to be much easier to adhere to. It's going to be much easier for me to perform on, recover on, and it's going to be much easier for me to get in micronutrients because I'm just having more food volume. You know, I'm still allowed 2,000 calories per day. So firstly, I think females kind of need to manage their expectations because it's going to be hard for you to lose fat mass at the same rate as a male, just based on the, the numbers of calories that you, you burn per day and you need per day. And the problem with that is there's probably a little bit of a disconnect where Generally speaking, females probably want slightly faster results than, than men, or they certainly want fast results. If you tell them, hey, we're probably only going to lose four pounds of fat mass per month, they're probably going to be like, I wanted more like four pounds per week, right? And it's like, okay, well, you know, or even every two weeks, it's like, well, now let's say you want to lose two pounds per week. You're kind of pretty much impossible for you to create a 1,000 calorie deficit per day based on that, that basic equation, right? Because if your maintenance needs are only 2,000 calories per day, we can't really cr create a 1,000 calorie deficit. It's, it's, that's such a low calorie intake that it's not going to be sustainable, healthy, um, you know, optimal at all. So a big, big mistake, yeah, females make is just understanding, uh, managing expectations and rate of progress. We probably, not only are you going to have a harder time losing body fat physiologically for a few reasons that, that we can get into, um, but your body's going to be more adaptive to the diet, which is a good thing from a survival mechanism. And the reason this happens is obviously females need to be able to reproduce to keep the human species going and, and to bear a child. So they're more adaptive to dealing with low calorie diets and surviving, which is a good thing. But it's not a good thing at all when it comes to fat loss, because it means your body will adapt to being in that deficit quicker, which means you will have, we'll have a harder time creating that calorie deficit, dieting and, and ultimately losing body fat. You're kind of fighting your body more than a male is. And that becomes more relevant the leaner you get and the more you try and push to continue getting leaner. So for females, not only do they require less calories um, kind of per day, which makes dieting harder anyway, their body is going to fight back a little bit more. It's going to be a bit more adaptive when it comes to actually dieting, which just makes the, the process a little bit longer, which means man managing expectations and understanding rate of progress becomes even more relevant. Otherwise, we end up in this cycle where females want to be losing kind of, you know, several pounds per week. 
they're not losing several pounds per week, they get disheartened. And then obviously we end up in potentially this rebound binge kind of cycle. And then again, not to go off on a tangent, but that only makes fat loss harder the more times you do that due to that adaptation of the metabolism as well as actually storing more body fat. So it's a cycle we really want to avoid, but that comes back right to the start of actually managing expectations in the first place, understanding your rate of progress might be a little bit slower, looking at some strategies that we can obviously use to try and make it more sustainable, to try and offset um, your body adapting to being in the diet, which just comes down to education, understanding, and potentially working with a coach like yourself to help you adapt to this, this process as you go. Um, so that actually you can be in the dieting phase for probably at least 12, maybe 16, maybe 20, maybe 20 plus weeks to actually achieve your goal physique. And most people, most girls obviously just um, kind of aren't beginners, especially aren't aware of that. They're kind of expecting four, six, eight week transformations. And when that doesn't happen, obviously they end up in that binge um, and repeat kind of cycle. So that's kind of a, a bit of an overview of why it's harder for, for females to, to diet and, and, and the mistake they make. And there's a lot of areas there we can get into if you want. But I definitely say the first one, if you're if you're listening to this, is just managing expectations. And, you know, understanding that two to three pounds of fat loss per month is great progress if you're a female or even a guy. Two to three pounds of fat loss per month is great progress. And focus on being able to accumulate multiple months in a row of moving forward as opposed to looking for kind of the short-term crash diets of losing multiple pounds per week because it won't all be fat loss um, anyway. As obviously, you know, we both know, Jad, it's just going to be water weight, uh, etc. Yeah, and I think uh, it's a really good point there on the calorie differences. And I think what most people need to, most females need to realize is there'll be differences between different types of females, not only um, difference in calorie intake between a female and a male. So if you're naturally smaller female, small in height, small in stature, you're, you're not going to require as many calories naturally as someone else would. So I think it's quite common that some females might get in the self comparison route. Like that woman over there is eating 2000 calories and she's eating 800. And like, I think some females might potentially have to go, lower calorie wise then they, they they think um they think it's probably real realistic um because obviously the calorie range can vary greatly um and then as well if you look at people who might be in relationships have partners husbands whatever you're not going to be able to eat, eat the same portions as them um you might potentially feel that they can quote unquote get away with more than you can and unfortunately that's just that's just the card that you've been dealt in terms of size and stature um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, from my own experience, a, a point I try to get across to female clients is you don't have as much wiggle room, so to speak. Like if you want results, you don't, the, the margin of error is, is quite small. Um, so if you want results, and again, Leo, going back to your point, of, you generally want quicker results. The quicker the results you want, the more extreme it's going to potentially have to get. So if you want to result in a kind of a format that you can manage and complement your life, your expectation of a, of a time frame is, is going to going to have to increase definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, exactly that. I think that's the first thing females do just need to understand and it, and it kind of sucks and there's strategies we can use, but yeah, it is what it is. You are, you are a female at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I, I think a few kind of cool things that, that females can do, but it makes, it makes fat loss harder is females are, are usually more, um, generally speaking, are more adaptive to kind of the, the process to the exercise. So typically females will get a worse or a better response depending on how you look at it 
um, of obviously getting hungry in in in, um, in response from exercise. So this is because obviously when when we exercise and we place that stress on the body, you know the female body, as we we touched on, wants to kind of store more body fat and it needs that for survival mechanisms and to, um, to um, support childbirth. So females will typically have kind of a worse in the dieting sense response to exercise and will kind of get an increased hunger from it than males will so this kind of then creates a bit of a difficult situation as well where often females will exercise they won't burn as many calories as they think they have doing it because there's just not that many of them and there's not that much of them to carry around to do the workout but also just because most people grossly overestimate how many calories they burn in a workout so, you know, this female might train, they might burn three, 400 calories, maybe a little bit more, but their hunger is kind of massively upregulated from the training. So we now end up in a situation where they've mobilized those fatty acids from the training, but they haven't necessarily needed them all or required them all as fuel for, for the workout. Um, but then they're, they're really hungry from the stress of the training. Um, so they go and then they, they eat because they think they've obviously earned it in, in you know, result of the workout. Like, oh, I'm allowed this muffin now or whatever because I trained, et cetera. And now we have this situation where obviously we've got these ex excess calories coming in and some extra fatty acids that we've mobilized anyway. And females are really good at, at redistributing them and, and restoring them, especially around the, the hips and thighs. Um, and that's, again, just comes down to a, a structural thing to support kind of pregnancy and childbirth. But it's really common to hear females say that, you know, when they're dieting, their, their lower body, sorry, their upper body will often get leaner and their lower body will stay the same or sometimes even actually gain more body fat because they're training hard, they're dieting, so they're mobilizing fatty acids, but they're still not in as enough of a deficit or training hard enough for long enough in proportion to the fact that they're mobilizing. Then actually they restore it kind of around the, the thighs and the hips. So it's super interesting how, how different females are in the late stage of breastfeeding or, or early pregnancy. I'm sorry, late stage of breastfeeding or, or just after they've given birth is actually they'll mobilize a lot of fat from their hips and thighs because it's now not needed because they're not trying to support childbirth. They've, they've just given birth. So you'll see often females will lose a lot of body fat from there very quickly. Whereas it's just much simpler with males. They just store it more kind of um, visceral fat. Men store more fat as visceral fat which is not good for your health, but it's good from a fat loss standpoint because it's then easier to mobilize and, and burn that body fat. And they kind of store it more, more evenly in comparison to females. So yeah, there's a lot of differences there that females kind of need to, um, kind of need to, to, to deal with for sure. Um, so yeah, it becomes very interesting and it is an uphill battle. So just understanding that it is going to be a bit more difficult um, and you're going to be in it for a little bit of a longer run is, a, is, an, important start, is an important start point. Um, another key difference for females is Females will burn um, more fat as fuel when, when they exercise, especially at low intensities, whereas men will burn more carbs. So that kind of sounds like a, a good thing for females. Obviously, you're burning more fat as you exercise. But what we're kind of, you know, obviously aware of now and a lot of clients are becoming more aware of is the fuel source you use when you exercise isn't always massively relevant because there's another 23 hours in a day or so, depending on how long you're training for. And obviously, we don't exercise every day as well. So whilst females are going to probably mobilize and burn more fat as fuel when they're training, they're not as good at doing it at rest as males are. So males typically burn more carbs at lower intensities when training, but they're able to burn more fat throughout the rest of the day. And then again, this just makes it harder for females because the bigger period of time where you're able to potentially use more energy as, as fuel, which is just at rest when you're recovering low movements, organ function, et cetera, you're probably using less fat, which again, just makes it a bit more difficult. It means it's going to be even more important to be on top of your diet. As you said, you know, uh, you've got less wiggle room. You're probably going to have to be on, on a pretty low calorie approach or understand it's going to be a longer process. 
um, and it makes movement per day even more even more important, you know, to stay on top of that daily step target and move lots throughout the day to try and keep calorie burn high throughout the day to offset the fact that we're probably going to use less fat or you will lose less uh, use less fat at rest if you're a female. So, yeah, there's just a few differences uh, there for females that are interested between how you store, mobilize and use fat in comparison as, as in comparison to males. So. It's not just that you're a smaller man, although that is important for the first part we talked about regarding needing less calories. But there's actually quite a few differences there on on how you store and use body fat as well, which does make it more difficult. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a fantastic answer. And I think regardless of whether you are a beginner or advanced, those those issues kind of just they're across the board regardless of of where you're at. Um, so I think if we had to if we had to summarize that up what females need to consider from what Leo just said is calorie requirements are going to be different for everybody. Um, fat storage is going to be different, primarily around the lower half, just due to your reproductive system. You need to be ready for that. Um, and there is going to be differences um, more so than you would like between a female and, and your male counterpart. And it's just important to realize that from, from the start. Yeah, for sure. And I think one one quick strategy to drop it in there, if you don't mind, Jared, I've personally found very effective with female clients. I'm sure you probably have as well, is obviously regarding that stubborn body fat that, that females often deal with. Obviously, part of that is is that kind of down to blood flow and our ability to transport it. And and females are much better at mobilizing fat and then restoring it as, as well than males are. So one kind of strategy I've, I've always found very effective is is after training to get clients to do kind of a power walk or if they can, if they're lean, if it's not too much impact through the joints, et cetera, you know, even a jog just to continue to take some of those fatty acids that they've mobilized in their training and actually then try and use them, you know, because as we touched on, females are better at, at using fat at lower intensities of exercise. So steady state cardio can be a really important tool for females when it comes to fat loss, um, just from a general calorie burn standpoint, but also specifically because of those differences in how you use fuel. So even just 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes if you've got it, when you're done with training, um, power walking on a treadmill or a gentle jog or getting outside or whatever it is you, you're doing after kind of your more traditional weight training or conditioning training that you're doing um, can, be a, can be a really powerful tool for the females to make sure those fatty acids you're mobilizing are actually getting burnt and used and not just re, um, restored again, especially around the hips and thighs. So um, I've had good success with all my female clients doing that two, three, even four times a week. Yeah. Um, that's really, really good. Really, really applicable for, for most, I'm sure. And okay, there's two topics I want to go through. Um, and today's episode, um, we're going to actually have a second installment of this podcast because, as Leo said uh, to me beforehand, the female uh, deserves the support um, that they usually don't get. So we're going to have two podcasts for this. Um, as you can see, there's quite quite a lot of complication if you do go into it. Um, so. Two topics I definitely want to go through today. One, obviously, the menstrual cycle because the awareness around that pretty much governs governs everything. Really, it has an effect on absolutely everything. And then keep our female their food, our females' food relationship. So, obviously, male or female will have issues with a food relationship. But I think it's just more predominant in the female in the female world and the female side of things. Um, so we go through the menstrual cycle. I think because obviously you could talk for for hours and you could go down rabbit holes with it. We'll probably just keep it straight to the point. So we kind of go through, go through what it is, um, and then maybe any potential things people or females need to watch out over for over a month. So like water retention, 
glucose management, all these kind of things. Um, so give us a run through. I know um, you've studied quite a bit of this as you said, your female, your female client base has been quite high over the last number of years. So what should females watch out for across the menstrual cycle? Or even if they don't even know actually what it is, what, what is the menstrual cycle? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the menstrual cycle, it's uh, menstrual comes from the, the Latin, word, Latin word for month, as uh, the menstrual cycle typically lasts, in theory, 28 days, obviously, although that, that never actually happens that way. Now, I think it's important to kind of say that there is no normal menstrual cycle there. Like, um, you know, you're not, not normal if your cycle's 32 days or anything like that. I think that's important, but just for kind of the, the textbook definitions um, and the way we're kind of taught it, it is based on a 28 day cycle, but that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you if your cycle's not kind of 28 days. I also think it's important just to say that there is massive variation between um, different female cycles. So it can be anywhere from like 24 to 34 days and different females will kind of have their menstrual cycle affect them in very different ways. Some females, not much changes for them throughout the month. Um, in which case you don't really need to consider this too much. For other females, you know, their PMS symptoms can be so bad that maybe they actually have to take antidepressant medication for a week um, every month. And it, it can make a huge difference to obviously their moods. Um, I think about 30% of females that report PMS symptoms, their cramps are so bad that they actually can't move. You know, it's, it's, it is a real problem. So I think that's important to throw out there because a lot of um, a lot of male coaches, I think, don't quite appreciate that and they don't understand it. And therefore, they don't know how to take it into account when it comes to delivering one-on-one -on -one sessions or delivering a program and nutrition in general. They're like, oh, you know, just get on with it. It's, it's some cravings. It's not a big deal. Because for some women, it is just that. But for other women, it, it really can affect their life. But also... Um, if you're a female listening to this, I think it's important to know that you're you're not alone. And you probably know that because girls chat, obviously. But I think it's good to throw it out there, you know, that actually a very high percentage of females do really struggle with bad PMS symptoms in at the end of their cycle. So, again, you're, you're not alone. So for those people that are kind of more sensitive to the cycle, um, this this will be more be more relevant to you. Um, but, yeah, there's no normal cycle, but uh, on average, we kind of take it at the textbook definition of, of 28 days. And it's split into two main phases. The first phase, um, again, roughly 14 days, if we look at it on, on average, the luteal phase. And the second phase is the follicular phase, named after the follicle that starts to get produced. And really, there's there's a lot of fluctuations that happen throughout this. The, the midway point is, is ovulation at roughly 14 days. But the most part, I think really what females just need to understand is uh, on day one, obviously, sorry, day one is obviously when menstruation starts. Um, I think the, the biggest kind of fluctuations and variables that affect females and the only part we really need to look at and consider for, for most females is those last kind of three to seven days um, where we potentially get the, the, the premenopausal, um, premenstrual symptoms, sorry. And that's the, the where issues, some issues start to arise because this is where obviously mood gets affected, which is going to affect cravings and food choices. Um, and it's massively where coordination and strength can get affected as well. So let's look at it from a, a nutrition and a, and a training standpoint on that last kind of three to seven days of your, of your cycle. Firstly, this is typically where with female clients, I will, get, I will give them some extra calories. You know, if you've got bad cravings, if you are if you are hungrier, um, you know, if you're kind of fighting low mood and a bit of depression in this period of time, it's probably not the time where you need to be pushing for fat loss. So if we take kind of a one month overview, if you have uh, a female client in a deficit or if you're a female and you're in a deficit for kind of, you know, 23 to 25 days straight and it was sustainable and, you know, fairly enjoyable, 
then awesome, you've made good progress. Now, if you take that kind of three to seven day um, premenstrual symptom periods where, and you potentially massively overeat and binge eat, you could undo the whole previous kind of three weeks worth of dieting just in about a week, which obviously is then not ideal. Month for month, you're now not going to make progress and that's going to form a bit of an unhealthy relationship with food. Whereas if we just strategically take what we might call a diet break, where we up calories to maintenance, so that might be an extra three, four, or 500 per day, depending on how much of a deficit um, that you're in. And we strategically do that to help offset the extra hunger, the extra cravings. And we do that from potentially some, some fun foods that you've got cravings for. So a lot of females at this time report cravings for chocolate. So maybe we give them some chocolate. Maybe we use dark chocolate. But if they really want some chocolate, it's only a few days of the month and it's a controlled amount. You know, let's just give them some, let's just give them some dairy milk. Um, and now we end up in a much better situation where over that month as a whole, we've had maybe three to seven days of maintenance. So fat gain is not going to happen. We're only eating at maintenance calories, but we've kind of had three weeks or three and a half weeks in a deficit. So you would have made progress. So now we're in a situation where obviously you've got through your cycle, so to speak, you're back to the start and you've lost body fat as a whole in the previous month. And now we can string consecutive back-to-back -back months of that happening which is obviously awesome that's how progress is going to happen instead of trying to fight it on day one fight it on day two and then day three four five however many days you know you give up you give in and you end up on a two to four day kind of binge eating episode so from a nutrition standpoint i think with the menstrual cycle it's, it's important that you know if you are dealing or um with pms symptoms if you're struggling kind of at the end of your cycle you know, don't fight that. I think a good strategy, and it's worked really well for my clients over the last six years, is just to take that as a diet break. So just up your calories to around maintenance from a combination of carbs and fats. Protein should always be high. Um, carbs or fats, if you just want one or the other, or carbohydrates and fats. Have some fun foods. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's going to be how you kind of get through that and how you, how you deal with that. So um, I'd say that's kind of my biggest takeaway from a nutrition standpoint on dealing with that cycle there. Yeah, and I think uh, I think um, across the obviously the cycle, the the later two weeks as well, um, due to the flux of normal. I think from what I'm aware, hunger hunger is actually higher, so hunger is higher, and at the same time, um, your in, their insulin sensitivity goes down, um, and their ability to store fat actually goes up. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. You get higher cravings, and your ability to store fat is actually increased as well. Um, and then, obviously, from I know most females will will weigh themselves, and they, they are usually quite attached to it most of the time. Um, and the second week and the fourth week, the water retention is obviously is going to increase from from the various changes. Um, so I think, from a, a weighing yourself perspective, if you're going to do that as a female, you need to be aware that there's going to be a lot of times where it's out of your control. Um, and obviously, if your nutrition is a bit all over the place, then Potentially, yes, it could be body fat. Um, but if you are someone who is pretty much on point all the time, and sometimes there is fluctuations, it's important to not be attached to it that those fluctuations are very much, very much out of your control. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, so what happens is LH, luteinizing hormone that that regulates estrogen, drops, and estrogen and uh, proestrogen drop in that second phase. And depending on how much they drop by, will obviously affect females um, and very differently. And that does cause yet yeah, an increase in water retention, our ability to tolerate carbohydrates yeah, can go down for sure. And again, this, this varies massively between females, but generally speaking, on average, that's what happens. So it can be a good time to have a slightly lower carb approach 
on the one hand, but on the flip side, obviously, if you've got all these extra cravings, then sometimes it's better to factor that in instead of resisting it and binge eating. So it's important as a female to obviously understand that and then pick your kind of approach um, accordingly, basically, which again is, is where working with a coach can come in really beneficial to know when to kind of fight it and push on or when to maybe kind of have a controlled um, extra extra few calories. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of variations in that in that second in that second phase in the follicular phase um, as your body prepares the, the follicle for um, for ovulation. So um, yeah, as you said, weighing in it's, it's not the time to do it. And um, for females, if you are using the scale weight as a measure of progress, keep it the same point in your cycle. Um, do it about once every four weeks. Don't do it. Don't do it weekly or even really bi-weekly for females. As you move through that luteal phase into the follicular phase, um, yeah, that, that will change. So it's not really worth doing. So do it after menstruation um, early in the luteal phase and just keep it keep it consistent. Um, and then you'll have a bit more of an accurate reading where more of those variables are controlled for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's important as well that like, I think a common question is if 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 people know how the menstrual cycle works, why do they not create, I suppose, quote unquote, nutrition plans or training plans for it? And I think it's because even though there is very good theory behind this, again, every female is going to be different, you know. Um, all females don't run off the same kind of system. Like there's going to be different time frames, different fluxes of hormones, different different sensitivities and effects. So no one control. female is the same. Yeah. So no one female is the same. So yeah. Like there's too much of a difference. Fluctuate massively. So if you look at at studies and research that is done on males versus females, um, often the average, like weight loss kind of studies, often the averages will look the same. The average of this study shows men lost three pounds. The average of this study shows that the women lost three pounds. But the men, if you look at kind of that bell curve, they're all kind of more here and the average might be three pounds still. But when you look at research on females, one female might gain 20 pounds from this study. Another one might lose 20 pounds and there's everyone kind of in between. And then subsequently, the average might still be that they lose three pounds. So on average, it appears that they're similar, but actually the, the natural variations in females when we, when we do research on them, is, is huge but it often just averages out to be the same but obviously we're not looking at averages when we're working with individuals we're working with individuals and depending on your age your menstrual cycle where you're at in your cycle if you're using birth control etc there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that changes it even hormones not directly related to the menstrual cycle such as cortisol thyroid leptin ghrelin all of these hormones are um, which regulate things like your metabolism and your hunger um, all of those hormones are a lot more kind of sensitive in females as well. So they will change indirectly throughout the menstrual cycle as a result of um, stress, calorie intake, if you're placing your stress on the body by being in a deficit, um, et cetera, et cetera, training stress. So the females are a lot more sensitive to a lot of those. Typically, a, a female's cortisol levels will shoot up much quicker when they start a training and diet program than, than men, which is the stress hormone. And typically, their thyroid levels will drop quicker in an attempt to kind of safeguard against this this dieting thing that the body doesn't obviously know we're doing on purpose than, than males. So those kind of fluctuations, even outside of the menstrual cycle, can be more severe as well, and they can take longer to reverse. So yeah, there's certainly a huge amount of variation in females, which is why, as you said, we kind of don't typically pre-plan in advance, hey, this is a female's nutrition plan over four weeks. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, your cycle might be 24 days. 
it might be 34 days, you know, that's obviously over a week and therefore instantly changes it to kind of like a five week phase instead of a four week. So now if you were trying to do something for a week and you were planning it four weeks in advance, you might be out by a whole week and the female's hormones are, are completely different. So you can't really plan in advance too much for this stuff. Now, the kind of bit of good news is that for most females, their own cycle is pretty consistent. So they're usually similar-ish on the day. Some females are like clockwork, not some not so much, but they're usually pretty consistent within a couple of days. And usually the symptoms and fluctuations and the, uh, the et cetera, et cetera, are usually the same cycle to cycle. Unless something huge has changed in their lifestyle or other areas of their health, normally they're pretty the same cycle to cycle. So this is one huge benefit of working with female clients over a period of several years, the same clients I've had as opposed to kind of weeks or months, is you get a chance to go back and forward with these clients and kind of collect this data. So now you do start to become quite in tune with your client or if you're your own client, if you're just a female, just training yourself. You know, if, you, if you're good at actually collecting this data, listening to your body, tracking your cycle, writing down notes on it, all of which I'd highly recommend you do, you can become your own best coach and you can start to predict what's going to go and what's going to happen. Okay, well, I started my period today, so I'm probably going to go and hit some PBs in the gym, um, you know, tonight, or I'm feeling really, really crap today. I feel really, really weak. I'm probably due on in a day or two. Or I can feel the water retention building up or I can feel kind of the... Uh, the mood, the mood swings building up. I probably know I'm due on my period, right? Most females kind of have this intuition and they kind of have this feedback. If you can double down on that and actually start writing down notes, um, actually getting quite precise with tracking what happens to you throughout your cycle, then actually within a few months of doing that, you really can start to optimize your training and your nutrition. And we can talk about what changes um, in training as well um, for you as an individual. And then that becomes really beneficial because you kind of know what you're expecting. You know how to optimize your results around it. And you stop kind of beating yourself up, you know, that you're not having the best week of training and the best week of nutrition because you just you know what it is. You, you know what's going on now, you know. So I'd highly recommend all females actually invest some time into becoming kind of your own experiment with your cycle. Track your cycle, take notes, correlate um, the day in your cycle to how you feel, to your performance in the gym, to your cravings and hunger, if any, to any water retention, if any. And just kind of do that kind of um, every five to seven days as you move throughout the different phases. And, um, and yeah, within a few months, you'll have some really good data on you as an individual, which is super important because you can't really learn that in a textbook. Every female is, is very different as we've touched upon. Yeah, and I think uh, it's important for a, a female to just to, to stop being your own worst critic. Because um, I often hear females of like having a week where they're not as strong and they're beating themselves, beating themselves up about it or... Maybe their cravings are higher and they're finding, they're finding willpower a little bit tougher. Again, sometimes there's actually a reason for that. Um, so I think just, again, the whole idea of keeping a log is really important because if you're going through certain things, at least if you have an idea of what's going on and what kind of stage of the month you're in, you can plan for it and you can put some theory behind it. And again, similar to training and nutrition, you know, like the more someone understands the, in, the ongoings of what's going on, and um, it just becomes a lot easier to manage it over time. Um, yeah, no, I think that's really good. Um, again, uh, another issue that's probably close to a lot of females, everyone's heart, uh, male or female, but more, dom more dominant than the female word, food relationship. Um, so I suppose people who haven't, who haven't started into, maybe haven't started along their fitness journey yet, um, or even people along their fitness journey, what have you seen in terms of, fluxes in, in females relationship with food or even their own body image i think 
that's a big topic. You know, I think in nowadays society, it's only it's probably getting worse, even though other things are getting better. Um, so what is your take on that, even? Before we get into that, should we just just quickly finish off the menstrual cycle and say how training can be affected in that last kind of in that last week in the late luteal phase? Yeah. Um, as I think it, it can be good for females to understand this because obviously, you know, females like men, once you kind of get into training and you're enjoying training and you're kind of about that gym life, you know, you want to obviously see your performance go up. You know, you, females, I find that at the start, they don't really care about how strong they are. But once they're kind of in it, as I'm sure you've experienced as well, however many weeks, months or years down the line, you know, females just as much as men, they really love seeing their, their back squat number go up or their deadlift number go up or whatever, right? Uh, and obviously that's super important when it comes to making progress as well. And then they get very disheartened in that last kind of week of the late luteal phase, I'm sorry, the late follicular phase, um, when obviously performance and coordination can, can drop off. And that's in line with that drop in estrogen and progesterone. So, you know, I've had a female client before who was on contest prep, so she was quite in tune with her body. And, uh, and we did a morning a PT session and she was just weak and her performance was crap. She actually came on her period that afternoon and she messaged me like, hey, like, you know, I'm on my period now, so I might try that workout again like by myself this evening. And I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, this morning wasn't obviously too tough where you weren't able to push too hard. So, you know, and you're on, and you're on prep, so obviously we need to be digging deep. Sure, go back this evening and repeat the workout. And, you know, in the space of a day, her performance massively increased as we move out of that late, uh, luteal phase, late follicular phase, sorry, and, and, and into uh, menstruation. So it does make a big difference that last um, part of those kind of last three to seven days, you know, performance will drop off, strength will drop off, coordination will drop off. So just know as a female that that's normal um, and just adapt accordingly. So, you know, if your coordination is bad, that's probably maybe not the time to be doing walking lunges. Maybe you might get incredibly frustrated with yourself if you're falling all over the place, you know, back squats and, you know, complex deadlift variations, et cetera, et cetera. There's no point risking the injury um, and there's no point kind of getting annoyed and fed up and beating yourself up if your performance isn't where it should be because maybe coordination and, and strength has gone. So typically what I would do with, with clients in this phase is for the last kind of three, four up to seven days as, as it affects them is use a lot more machines where um, they don't need to worry as much about coordination and kind of that, that motor neuron control um, and typically slightly higher loads. Um, so they're not kind of worrying about their strength as much. Um, females typically have a higher pain tolerance to men anyway. So um, slightly higher rep sets. And yeah, and just, you know, use it as a bit of a deload week if you really need to. Don't be scared to take the week a little bit easier. Uh, back off a little bit, use it as a chance to recover. Ultimately, the recovery process is where the, the progress and the growth happens anyway. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Don't beat yourself up if your performance and coordination and strength drop off at the end of your cycle. Um, it's normal. And um, and yeah, just adapt your training a little bit accordingly, basically. Yeah, I know it can, it can sound like for most females like that, that it's all negative, that you've got a really raw deal. But that training point is really good that regardless of whether you're a beginner or advanced, females can actually tolerate quite a lot in terms of training. Um, they just can handle more pain than males, whether males want to admit that or not. So I've often had it back when I was doing one-to-one where you could put a female through the most horrific set, like obviously more advanced, through a horrific set where there's sweat nearly close to tears of like a split squat or a leg press or whatever. And you're like, all right, take a break. And you literally turn around 10 seconds later and they're just ready to go again. Yeah. Mental. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I can think of a few clients off the top of my head. Uh, Jess, Suzanne, Claire, all of which I just ended up training with the most disgusting sets. 
And then I was like to myself, well, you know, I'm going to have to go and do this afterwards now. You know, I've put you through it. And it was always quite inspiring because they can tolerate more pain um, typically. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen some research somewhere that, that looks at intra-set recovery, so recovery between sets. Um, and there's various mechanisms to why females actually are, are better at recovering quicker, um, including potentially having a better lactate threshold, so a better ability to, to buffer lactate as well. I've, I've seen some research on that, I'm sure, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but basically what that looks like for, for you females listening with your training is that you probably are going to be able to tolerate more pain, tolerate higher rep sets. You're going to be able to get away with less rest in between sets. Um, which means you can just crank the, the kind of intensity or density technically of your workouts up, which is, is a good thing for overall body composition. It's a good thing for, for burning calories and, and stimulating muscle fibers for the most part. So, um, yeah, I like that you, you brought that around there, actually, Jared, because so far it kind of all sounded a bit negative on why it's harder for females and, and some downsides. But um, those key points there are, are really beneficial. Um, in terms of, of your training, if you understand them for females. That doesn't mean you shouldn't train with higher reps. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do strength work. You definitely should. Um, but at the same time, it's good to understand that so you can use those natural advantages you've got um, to your advantage. And, and yeah, I've never seen people train as hard as some of my female clients. They might do 40, 50 rep sets on the leg press, the banded leg press with strip sets and all sorts of crazy shit. They're eight, they're eight minutes in, you know, sometimes the sets. And obviously, I'm not an advocate advocate of that all the time every workout of course not but yeah females can push to that place especially mums especially females who've been through childbirth yeah i think it's important as well if you're a female and um, because you can tolerate a lot more females tend to want to overtrain and even from beginner to advanced obviously there's different levels of it but they always want to do more and they want to train more and they might feel like they can do it or recover from it but i think it's really important as a female that if you don't have a program get one um, and always have professional support because even though you can potentially tolerate it and do it your workload and stress across the week needs to be managed because at the same time cortisol and again being probably prone to stress uh, you can't just throw the kitchen sink at it training wise seven days a week um, and expect for that to not come back and haunt you so you see it quite often where females might do classes or hit um, and they like to do hit and interval work all the time or they like to do classes that are potentially high intensity six or seven times a week um, and initially you might get a great response from that because of just the change of training but eventually when progress stalls and stress is quite high you can't sleep um, there's going to be issues with that down the line so managing the overall workload even though you can do a lot it's important yeah definitely I think maybe let's just touch on that just just quickly when it comes to stress quickly Jared because Obviously, a lot of a lot of people, male and female, and we've obviously spoke about stress a lot before. They don't view training as a stress; they view it as kind of like the opposite. But actually, the reality is, especially hard training, it is a stress on the body. If it wasn't stressful to the body, it wouldn't force an adaptation; it wouldn't force the progress that we want. But training stress isn't separate to other stresses, so we can view total stress, um, which includes your lifestyle, includes any mental stresses, includes anything with your kids, with your work includes any physiological stresses such as kind of medication etc etc so most people are dealing with a lot of stress at one time and that total stress added up at once is, is called allostotic load and training stress is part of that a lot of females in particular especially mums 
they don't have the recovery capabilities to deal with a large amount of stress because they're going to bed late because they're kind of cooking in the next day. They're making their kids lunch boxes. They're ironing their husband's shirts, etc. So then they wake up earlier to maybe do stuff for themselves before kind of getting their kids ready for school, etc., etc. And then maybe they've got a job as well and, and whatever. So there's a lot of stress there. There's a little bit of a lack of sleep. And especially if you're a female dieting on lower calories, not only do you have less calories for all the reasons that we've been speaking about, but by default, lower calorie diets have a pretty direct correlation to a lower um, intake of micronutrients because there's just less food that you're eating, which also affects recovery and stress. And you can now see we kind of have this whole big shitstorm situation where there's a lot of stress. And obviously, we're struggling to maybe recover from it. So just as you said, yeah, it's super important to manage your training, to not overtrain. More is not um, better. Um, and yeah, especially just to touch on the hip classes, you said a lot of females do that. They try and train legs two or three times a week because they want to train their bum and their hamstrings and their thighs, which is great. And that's awesome. But then when they do do these extra hip classes or conditioning type classes, it's usually a lot of legs. It's usually a lot of like burpees, squat jumps, jumping lunges, running, all that type of stuff. So they end up training legs every bloody day, which then really affects obviously their recovery, their ability to actually progress how their legs look. Um, and that's a key issue I see with a lot of females and they end up plateauing and they don't like how their thighs look and they're not losing body fat from there and they're not improving the shape and tone. It's because they're never giving their legs a chance to actually rest, recover and ultimately compensate from that because they end up doing some form of leg training every single day. So if you are a female and you're training legs two to three times a week, um, if you want to be doing extra cardio, that's awesome. Try and make sure that extra cardio isn't also pretty much a leg workout. So as you said, Jared, making sure you're actually on a well-structured program where all of that stuff is, is kind of factored in. Um, and all of this is even more relevant to females than it is to males, just because as we've touched on, females are having less calories than males, but also females are more sensitive to fluctuations in like the stress hormone cortisol, in the metabolism hormone, thyroid, et cetera. So it makes this stuff even more relevant because it's harder for you to get away with it as a female than it is for a male. Males can typically kind of eat more food um, and they're a bit more resilient hormonally to, to overtraining. So yeah, I think it's important for, to, to touch on that for females to overtrain. So yeah, great, great point, mate. Yeah, and it's, uh, females definitely have very much of a, a do more mentality um, and at times as well. Like you get a female and they'll want to do hit and they might want to go for a run and then they'll do extra work at home. Um, and then it's very common if, if people do that and um, that you, I might, you might have a client, they, they, their clothes feel looser, but their scale weight has just plateaued. It's been level. And then you ask them what they've done and they've thrown in extra workouts and extra hits. Um, if, with that rising stress, obviously, if your females might, might be prone to water retention with cortisol, etc., it could mask scale weight. Um, so I think it's important as well, like you, you would have had a, definitely this conversation with your clients where you want them to potentially do low level cardio because obviously it's not as stressful. Um, if you do it for enough time, calorie expenditure, et cetera, will be the same. There's numerous health benefits from it. But they might say, oh, it's boring. I want to do HIIT. Can I do this? And it's nearly a case of where sometimes you just have to tell them to suck it up. Like that for your own benefit, long run, like it's not going to be wise to start throwing in four extra HIIT workouts a week um, from one you might think you feel great while you do it, but for the other 23 and a half hours of the day, you're not going to feel as good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that, mate. I think kind of steady state cardio for a while got demonized by the industry, which just doesn't make sense. It's a really valuable tool to know how to use as a, as a client and as a coach. And um, yeah, it doesn't eat into your recovery. It lets your legs rest, which is really important if you're a female. It's not as stressful on the body, which is important for all the reasons we've just been talking about. It's not as stressful mentally. 
to get prepared for it, which is important for, again, all the reasons we've been talking about. So again, typically for a female in a fat loss phase, um, doing steady state cardio where your heart rate's maybe between 110 to 130 beats per minute or so, you know, two, three, four times a week, um, is, is very effective in comparison to HIIT. Obviously, it's not time effective, so that needs to be taken into account and managed on a client-by-client basis. But from a recovery standpoint uh, and an effectiveness standpoint, often for females, it is a better approach for sure. Yeah. You would have had the, the, the case as well where some females think you're a wizard because you've, you've pulled out all this extra work they're doing and you've given them a little extra calories because they're under-eating. And all of a sudden they start to lose weight doing less and eating more and they think it's some form of miracle when really all you've done is just giving your body a break giving your thyroid a break and just reduced a lot of stress that you've been putting yourself under yeah exactly that mate i mean the kind of the mechanisms behind that we could definitely do another episode on if you want it's kind of that that's luke calls it prepping the prep or laying the foundation and we can talk about kind of the the stress and the calorie intake side of it but uh, that is a common situation for females um where actually they need to be doing less work and or more food a uh, really common situation yeah so again if you're a female listening and you're kind of running yourself into the ground you're on low calories and you're doing a lot of exercise and cardio and you're still not progressing uh consider actually actually that the opposite is what you need consider less training and more food um, and we might call that sometimes like a, a recovery diet or a reverse diet so yeah if you're a female listening um, more is not always better um, so listen to your body listen to that feedback yeah, yeah. So I think we could we probably have to book in around five podcasts at this thing at this rate so <laughs> to go through yeah. everything going on so females are a broad, they're a broad subject they yeah. are a very very broad subject definitely so I think for today we'll actually we'll call it at that today and then if you want to hear more from me and Leo or regards food relationships and everything else female um be tuned in for part two which we will be recording uh, next week so leo it's been a pleasure thank you for coming on um, and as we said there's definitely going to be more um yeah so in terms of just letting people know where to find you um where is best to get onto you in regards to social media yeah so feel free to uh drop me a message with any questions you've got from this episode uh, guys and girls let me know if you enjoyed it that that would be great so obviously yeah me and jared I, I can definitely get together and do more more episodes so your feedback would be appreciated as well as any questions you've got so probably the the best place where i'm most active is is probably just instagram so that's at leo tyson nice and simple uh tyson with two n's um i've got a website as well on a facebook page and all that other stuff but instagram is probably the easiest one for you to remember the name of and then you can always find those other links there in my bio on Instagram if you're interested. But always happy to answer questions on there. Always happy to listen to uh, feedback, especially around females, because as we said, females are incredibly underserved in the industry. Uh, me, me and Jared are both very passionate about, you know, basically trying to help females in particular because of the amount of bad coaching that there is and the amount of females in particular that get really quite badly messed up um, as a result of bad coaching. So we're really keen to help you in particular. So the more questions, the more feedback, the more you share this with, you know, some of your friends that might benefit from it, the more obviously we can tailor the, the service to you. So, yeah, please let us know. Yeah, lovely. And I will uh, I will tag Leo anyway in the show notes um, and in, on social media posts. So thanks, Leo. It's been a pleasure. And if you've listened to us uh, today and you've got enjoyment or use of it, uh, I would be greatly appreciative if you could just review the podcast and it would help us reach more people and potentially help others uh, as well. So thank you for listening. <laughs>